Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place for you to experience a grace that heals. We're glad you're here because we're excited about how grace can transform your life and your relationships. Stay tuned. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. We are so glad you're here, and we are looking forward to sharing about grace, about our lives, and about what it's like to be imperfect people who are perfectly loved by an amazing God. So, I'm Joel. And I'm Lynn, and I'm excited about this discussion today. It's a little bit difficult to try to describe who God is because He's pretty amazing, right? Not anything like we've experienced before we knew Him, but not only are we going to learn some attributes of God today, but we're going to learn that He is very personal. Yes. So, the question today is, who is this God of grace that we're talking about? And I would say, yeah, and we're going to probably use more scripture today than normal, just because when we talk about God, we really need to let Him tell about Himself. And that's exactly what He's done through the Old Testament, through the New Testament. These ancient scriptures that we have are God's way of letting us know who He is. So... Well, Where do you want to start? Probably yeah. are many gods out there, right? And so the one we're looking at today is the one who reveals himself in the Bible. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why he does it, because when the Jewish people came on the scene as God's calling out a people, there were lots of other gods. There was plenty of competition for God <laughs> yeah. at the time. And he's like, hey guys, here is the one true God. I'm showing up. I'm telling you who I am. This is me. So So if someone says to you, if we're not true, nothing's true, that's that's really an oxymoron because there are lots of options as far as belief system. In fact, one of the major characteristics of a performance-based religious group is not all, but many of them will claim they alone are the only ones with all the truth. When you look at the scripture and you look at the history of biblical Christianity, you don't find any one group saying that. So yeah, whenever you hear that, um, we're the only one true church, we're the only one, we're the only called ones, we're the only anointed ones, that should be a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. So where do we want to start? We're talking about who is this God of grace, where where would you like to start, Lynn? I'm going to give you first scripture pick, so. Uh, I want to start in Numbers 23, 19. I really like this because of where I came from. He says, God is not human that he should lie. So we found out two things there. He's not human and he can't lie. And he's not a human that he should change his mind. Wow. Now, to put that into context, historically, you, it's good to understand that the gods that surrounded the gods of the Philistines, the Canaanites, the whole Mesopotamian region where Israel is when God is revealing this, these are very human gods. These are gods very similar to the Roman and Greek pagan mythologies where they're demigods, where they, 
they actually have all the characteristics of men, mm -hmm. which makes them so capricious, so unpredictable. They were fickle. They were unchangeable. They have sex. They all kinds of interesting human-like right. characters. They demand human sacrifices, mm -hmm. many of them. So yeah. God coming on the scene to his people, very fascinating. This is one of the first things that he lays down. Hey, not human. Don't change. I'm reliable. I'm honest. You can count on me. I'm not going to be one of these fickle man-like gods. Yeah. What else about this God of grace? Well, the one thing that I think, because it's repeated so often in the Old Testament, I mean, especially through Isaiah's chapter 43, 44, 45, is this idea that he is the only true God. Mm. Uh, because once again, most of the other nations surrounding Israel had a whole pantheon of gods. Right. They had multiple gods, gods for crops, gods for fertility, gods for prosperity. And so God is saying in counter distinction to these pantheons of demi-gods, I am the only true God. There's only one God. Mm. And he, and we'll in the show notes, once again, in the show notes, we're going to put all these references. Some of, To some of you, probably these are familiar, maybe to others there's not, but there's lots of information on this. But I just want to say, what he lays out, and it's like he takes this section of Isaiah to do this, 43, 44, 45, and I think even into 46, there are multiple references. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that is not up for grabs is that there can be more than one God. Right. And, and it is, he is the sovereign God over everything that exists. So he says things like, I am the only true God. Um, there's never been a God created before me. There's never been a God that existed after me. There never will be. Um, are there any other gods? Oh, I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know any. <laughs> That's and if my you, favorite one. <laughs> and so if you hold to an omniscient God, if God is omniscient and God says, are there any gods? Well, I don't know of any other gods. Then it's a pretty sure bet those gods don't exist. Or if they're named gods, because there's lots of things that are named gods, they're a false god. Mm -hmm. They're not the one true and living God. Would so, it matter that we have a one true God? And what does that actually mean? Yes, absolutely. So I'll give the short answer first. <laughs> absolutely, it's important that we have one true God. Why? Mm. Because only one God can be all the attributes that God claims for himself through Scripture. Mm -hmm. And we may develop these a little bit more, but just to, the overview is when you look at the primary attributes, what describes God, what makes him different? He is omniscient. In other words, he knows every, there's nothing out of his realm right. of knowledge. Right. He is omnipresent. There is nowhere you can go in any existing realm in this galaxy or any other where you are out of God's presence. And he, and part of what makes that possible is he reveals himself as a spirit. He is not corporally bound. So God, in the essence of his being, does not have a physical, temporal presence and never has because that would limit him. That would bind him. Mm -hmm. To one place, one time. And even if he could move quickly, even if he was like super fast, he still could not, his presence couldn't be everywhere. And I think David in the Psalms says, where can I flee from your presence? doesn't matter where I go, down to Sheol, 
up to the heavens, under the sea. Yes. There's nowhere I can go where I'm out of your presence. Psalm 1724, or Acts 1724 actually says this twice in Acts. God does not live in temples made by human hands. He can't be contained. The earth is his footstool. He's everywhere, yes. right? Having come from where I came from, this was a huge idea to me. Okay. Because I began to think that if your God is a man, first of all, he's limited because he can't be omnipresent. He can't be all places at once, right? right. Yeah, that's just a, a And if he fact. can't be all places at once, you can't know all things immediately. Right. And if he can't know all things, he's not all powerful over those things. So those were huge ideas to me. The other thought I had about a God who has a body of flesh and bone is he probably has to eat and sleep and have sex and, and has other human needs attached to that body, even if it's glorified. And... Um, that seemed to me to be maybe a waste of time and a limit <laughs> of what God needs to it be. It could be a limitation, yeah. yeah. And how all that works out is, it's kind of fascinating to look at. But the point is, if you do have a God who is omnipresent, he's ever present, he is, as you've already said, he is all-powerful. There is nothing more power. He, can he has all the power for everything. He is, and that's omnipotent, so we've got, oh, and an omniscient, he's all-knowing. Mm -hmm. Only one being can have all those qualifications because as soon as you introduce somebody else, they either have to be the same, which it would be impossible for two beings side by side to be two separate beings and both all-powerful and omniscient. How could they both have all the knowledge of the other? Right. So that means that one has to be superior and one has to be inferior. Where as soon as you're the inferior, you're no longer the one true God. Because you no longer have. There's already somebody who is above you. So only one being, if you're going to have those attributes be a part of God, there could only be one God by definition. Those are all character attributes that become mutually exclusive to everyone else around you. So an idea like eternal progression would mean that one person is farther along than the other, has more knowledge than the other. Right. And then that even the person, even the first God who started out in eternal progression, if he continues to progress, doesn't have all knowledge, right? Not yet. If there's Not more, yet. well, if there's more to be had, he doesn't have it all. Exactly. And if he doesn't have it all, he cannot be omniscient. That's the very that's the very definition. Now, the other thing that I think helps when we look at okay, so when we look at performance-based religion, you go, well, why is this so confusing? Why is this such an issue? It's an issue because within most of the performance-based religious groups that we're looking at contemporary today, because there's always been performance-based religious groups. But the ones that are kind of competing for people's attention and loyalty today, many of these groups started with the foundation that was the God of the Bible. Mm. But human leaders 
began moving because I think of their own pride as they got puffed up, as they claimed certain positions or certain knowledge or certain access to God, whatever it is, what they started doing was creating God in their own image. Yes. And whenever that happens, you start actually taking away from the uniqueness of God. And as soon as you start creating a God made in your own image, you now don't have the one unique God of the Bible. And so part of the confusion is it's not that, okay, for centuries, for millennia, anybody who looked at the Bible went, um, yes, Christianity has always been the religious system that was unique in that it had this one true and living God who had all these attributes. And these, for the most part, weren't contested. And anybody who did contest them immediately showed themselves to be having split off from biblical Christianity and often went their own way. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel like I've talked too much. So, But anyway, that that's the uniqueness. But I think that that's the confusion for some people. It's like, well, why do we have all this? Well, we have all this because human leaders, God's made it very clear. The scriptures are incredibly clear about the uniqueness of God and all this. Mm -hmm. But whenever you let a human leader in to your life as an authority figure that has the ability to trump scripture, to add to it or to change it, you've now given them the power to change Change who God. God is. Exactly. Let me go a little bit different place with that. Having been a professor that taught diversity for nearly 20 years, right? There's something called postmodernism in the whole multicultural diversity field, which is my idea is equal to your idea is equal to their idea. We can all just kind of uh, create our own reality, create our own faith create our own morality, you know, and, Whatever I, works for us, and right? I can't judge yours and you can't judge mine, you know, which is kind of interesting because um, I think most humans would say that killing people is not moral or, okay. So sometimes folks in the postmodern world are being their own gods, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's kind of what it comes down to. If that you're the final exactly arbiter of truth. Yeah, exactly. Then you are your own God. So when Corey and I and Latane and Vince wrote the book, Leaving Mormonism. Yeah, phenomenal. The very last chapter um, gives reasons to believe in God. And this is one oh. of the things we talk about, right? Is there a God that's smarter than you are, or are you God? You know. Okay. Well, we'll put a link to where people can find that book in the show notes. I'm sure it's available on Amazon, wherever Christian books are sold. Yeah. So that's so that chapter goes into that in detail. It does. So we really don't. We and we won't try to do that here. Right. Um, Okay. So So that's something people have to decide, right? Right. Are they their own gods, or? Do they believe there's a God who's omniscient and knows all things that might be useful in their lives? Right. And whence is their source of truth? In yeah. other words, how do we yeah. know about it? Is it just what we think? Is it just what resonates? Or do we go to objective ancient scripture that Christianity has held? This is God revealing himself. Um, 
and this is how we know, so that's why we don't go beyond that, and we always compare any new idea, any nuance, mm -hmm. and I think we were just talking earlier um, before we started recording about um, a teacher that's come out and has started talking about some kind of just slightly quirky notions about God and grace. Mm -hmm. And and it was funny because for all of us, as we were talking, as you and Mike and I were talking, it's like, well, hey, where we have to go with this is back to Scripture. Right. Everybody's got new novel ideas, but for the believer, if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, and, if you've, and I really believe if you've been touched by grace, mm -hmm. then... You don't have a problem. In fact, you welcome the Bible's unique authority to speak objectively so it's not up to you. Because if there's any, the older I get, the less I trust my own brilliant ideas. Yeah. Um, and That's that whole <laughs> dependence, humility thing that is a part of grace, right? Right. Yeah. Because when we recognize we didn't do anything to contribute to this relationship, it makes us both dependent and humble. Yeah. And humility invites grace. I mean, so if you want more grace, be more humble, right? <laughs> and not false humility, right? So definitely in the future, we need to do a whole podcast on the Word of God. What is the Word of God? Um, Why it's important, it, how you can study it, how you can know it. What okay, it? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There'll be a lot of good resources we can point people to um, for something like that. So yeah. another another attribute. Okay, so who is this God of grace? He is a totally unique being. He's a one-of-a-kind being. He's spirit. He's not physically bounded, um, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, doesn't change. What are some of the other core attributes of this God that we want to kind of put into place so that anybody who might be thinking as they listen, well, maybe I am in one of these performance-based religious groups, and maybe the God that has slipped in here, the God that's been introduced and taught to me, is not the true God of the Bible. What other attributes do we want to flag for them so they can be looking? Hey, does my God, you know, match up? Well, certainly you've mentioned, we've mentioned before that God knows all things from the beginning. Let me read this section okay. in Psalm 139. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The other point wow. I'm going to make here is not only does he know all things from the beginning, but he's personal. That means for you and for me, he knew what choices we'd make, what would come into our lives. Yes. Um, he knew whether we would accept him, be believers, and then whether there'd be fruit from that. And this God is very, very, very personal, I would say, and certainly showed up for me in very personal ways after I surrendered the rest of my life to him. So really what this is touching on is God's sovereignty. Yeah. The fact that he, because of all these other attributes, he is sovereign in that he is totally in control. 
Mm. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing is beyond his power, which goes back to uh, a different podcast that we did where we talked about the fact that God is able to work all things for the good of those that love him. Mm. Even sin, even the brokenness of the world, even our own sin, he has the ability to take and use that for our good, for those that are loving, that are in relationship with him. And all that ties into this idea that God is sovereign. He has the ability, the power to control. Mm-hmm. And I think with whenever I, whenever I talk sovereignty, the next thing that comes in is that he's good. God is a good yeah. God. I want you to run with that because I know you have tasted of that goodness of God. So tell me a little bit to you about what it means for God to be good. Well, now that I am a biblical Christian, I've encountered people like someone who was once a drug addict, or someone who was once a prostitute, or someone who had completely ruined their lives through alcoholism and then their family's gone, right? Yes. And you think, how could any good ever come from that? There was a time in my life where I wept wondering how could any good come from my having been in performance-based religion, raised my kids in that, what will that do to the generations to come Yes. when I once then came to a place where I felt like that was not a good place to be. And yet, God, right? Mm-hmm. He's able to take someone who's been a drug addict, heal them in a moment, and then send them back into that environment with other drug addicts so that they might tell them that there's a better way to live, that there's a God that loves them. And so I was blown away by the fact that, that once I surrendered to the God of the Bible, he took even my 30 years in performance-based religion and began sending me people who were questioning whether they should be in performance-based religion. And I was able to love on them, hug them, cry with them, walk with them, allow Encourage them. Encourage them. Oh, yes. yes. Something you could have never done without that history, without that experience. That to me is such an amazing thing about this God of grace is he can and he will take it all. The worst of us, the worst of who we are, um, and the best of what he's put in us. And ultimately, he wants to bring grace into our lives so we can both experience him at a deeper level and then impact other people around us. So we become agents of transformative change. And really the gospel is about transformation. The gospel is about lives being changed for the better. Certainly he changed me. And like I said, my transition probably took five years. And I would get angry with God, like what? Why does this have to be so nasty? Why is there so much emotional (laughs) brokenness? Why is my family 
messed up through this whole thing and yet he's a reconciler in the end now i can see his wisdom in it i feel like he took me through every crappy thing that could happen to a human being in transition <laughs> so that i now have sympathy and empathy and compassion for others who are making those choices, going through that transition, maybe have broken relationships while yeah. they're doing that. And then I praise him that he took me through that. Right. Because you now become a beacon of hope to somebody else who's back further along the path knowing what is possible. Now, I think we have to say there's no guarantee of everything being great or perfect in this life. Suffering is part of the walk, brokenness is a fact of life, and while God can redeem and use it, people still get cancer and don't recover. Some relationships break up and are never brought back together again. But that is not a reflection on the character of God and His goodness and His ability to work in and through those things as well, because it's not just here and now. God will restore totally. He will bring everything back. But a lot of that's going to happen in the future life. But that's why we have a future hope. And that's why I think we've already said we have to do um, an episode on grace and suffering. Mm -hmm. And what does it look like to suffer well? What does it look like to follow the pattern of Jesus who the scriptures said he himself also suffered and then went into glory. But going back to where you are, God uses all that so that we can, out of what we suffer, out of what we've gone through, offer hope to other people. He's real and he's living. And as you've said, he's intensely, intimately personal. Well, God will be in our conversation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Every he's week. He's the source no of grace that we're experiencing. So, well, thank you, Lynn. Thank you for even sharing how God has taken your mess and your brokenness and five years of um, incredible transition and for pointing us to this amazing God of hope. We want God's grace to be unveiled to you so you can see it ever more clearly and be drawn to Him. We're always happy to hear from you. What are your yes. questions? What are your concerns? What are your struggles? And chances are we'll address it at some point. <laughs> Sooner or later. <laughs> Thanks again. Grace be with you. God bless. Till next time. <laughs>